Our guests today were in pastoral ministry for over 30 years, and their experiences and wounds in uh, the helping profession led them to some deep understanding and insight out of personal experience on the subject of forgiveness. A subject that's being neglected today and all the talk of diversity and all the talk of bringing people together, I don't hear anybody talking about the need for forgiveness. And I think I, there's some reasons for that. But uh, since 2009, uh, Dr. Bruce and Tony Hebel have traveled around the world with this message of forgiveness, including um, maybe he'll tell you about a reconciliation service between Palestinians and Jews in Israel. So I'm really, really glad to bring them. One of the things I'm most uh, impressed about with Bruce and Tony is they have three grown children who love God and three grandkids, and all the kids are involved in ministry, and that speaks volumes to me. So it's my pleasure to, we're going to be coming back later, have prayer with you, coming back later to receive an offering for their ministry, and we'll hope to see as many of you as possible downtown this afternoon as we learn about the protocols of forgiveness. God bless you, Dr. Bruce Hebel. Let's give him a warm Bethany welcome. Thank you, Pastor Phil. It is an honor to be here. I met him in May and at a pastor's gathering that the Barnabas Ministries has done, uh, and we were able to teach this to, to him and a bunch of other pastors, and, and uh, it's honored to be here. Uh, before we start, I just want to calm your hearts just a little bit. The only people who don't need what we're about to teach are the ones who've never been wounded. And remember, every one of us when we were born were hit immediately after our birth. And my suspicion is, if you're like a lot of people that we teach to, that there's a wound, there's a, there's a, a memory, there's an a, a issue in the past that you've you stuffed, you've buried, and you never want to deal with it again. But it's not dealt with, it's just stuffed. But burying wounds don't heal wounds. They metastatize when you do that. Forgiving wounds is what heals wounds. So we're, it's okay when those memories are brought back up, because it's actually the Holy Spirit himself who's doing it. He's bringing it to your mind because he wants you to deal with it. And we're going to teach you that. We're going to give you some significant truth today. What we're going to teach you this morning is what we call the uh-oh part of our message. This is, you've ever had an aha moment in Scripture? Yeah, yeah. this is an oops moment. This is an oh my. Because there's some significant truths in Scripture that we're going to teach you today that's going to remove the option in your mind for forgiving and then this afternoon, we're actually going to teach you the protocols, actually how to know what are the ingredients, what required in the equation of the heavenlies that you will know that you have actually forgiven and you can live free. So that's what we're going to do today. And before we do, I want to just bring our hearts together because you really didn't show up to hear what Hebel had to say. You came up to hear what God had to say. So we want God to speak today, not me, but he, he will use me, but we want you to be able to hear. So I'm going to ask that God opens my heart, and I'm going to ask you to pray with me that God will open the eyes of your heart so you will understand the, the, the inheritance God has given to us and the incredible value of the blood of Jesus Christ. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for giving us your son. Thank you for giving us your scriptures. Thank you for allowing us to see 
through your spirit, the truths you want us to know. And Lord, that's only going to happen if your spirit takes your word and uses your servant to speak to your people. So that's what we're asking for. So my, my main biggest prayer for you today, to you today is that you will be in me everything that's needed in this room today. And when that happens, we'll be careful to give you glory. In the powerful, strong name of Jesus, we pray. And God's people said, amen. C.S. Lewis said, everyone thinks forgiveness is a grand idea until they have something to forgive. And we love the songs about grace. We love the old hymn, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. We love that his grace is enough, his grace is enough for me. But is it, are we just as excited when that song applies to the person who wounded us? We didn't plan to go into itinerant ministry about forgiveness. It was not our plan. I, I was nine years old when I knew I was going to go into ministry. My dad was a pastor. That's my, and you, some people say nine years old. It's kind of weird. Well, that's the only story I've got. So I kind of have to stick with it. <laughs> but if you're following in your father's footsteps, if you are going to go in his path, then you want to learn from your dad. And as fathers, we want our sons to learn from us. And I want my kids to stand on my shoulders and go to the next level. And that was the relationship I had with my dad. And I began to watch my dad as a pastor, and I noticed something about him, that he got wounded a lot in ministry. Because let's face it, sheep bite. They do. They bite, they sneak up behind you, and they bite you in places you do not want to be bit, and they don't want to let go. So I said, I'm going to learn from my dad. I'm not going to make the same mistakes. I'm not going to be blindsided like he was, I'm going to, so I go to Bible college. I meet Tony. We get married. We go to cemetery. I mean, seminary. It's a fine line. And, and we get mentored and trained by some of the most godly spiritual giants on the planet. And we get trained incredibly well. And we launch into our ministry. And guess what happened to us? We got wounded. We got bit hard multiple times in multiple places over many years. In fact, <laughs> in one of our darkest moments, Tony calls the Focus on the Family pastoral hotline. Did you know that Focus on the Family has a pastoral hotline? hotline? Does it bother you just a little bit that they need one? But they do. And hundreds and hundreds of pastors and their wives call them every year in crisis. And when Tony told them our story, there was silence on the other end of the phone. And the silence was broken when the man said, ma'am, that's the worst story we've ever heard. Why are you still doing this? Because it was the call. And I have to confess that there was a period in my ministry of about a year. The ministry was going well. We'd come into a situation, a church that was kind of a dysfunctional and, and we were able to bring some healing and some, some, some structure to it. And, and the church was developing and growing and it was, it, my teaching gifts were going strong. My leadership skills and gifts were, were functioning well. But inside of my heart, inside of me, I was a mess. And the only word I can use is I was tormented. Because the scab from an old wound had gotten knocked off by a current situation. Has that ever happened to anyone here? 
but I'm a pastor, right? We don't, we don't need help. We give help. We, we, we foolishly think that we have to have all the answers. So I did what a lot of pastors insanely do. I stuffed it inside. I, I didn't tell my best friend. I didn't tell my wife. I didn't tell anybody. And finally, I'm in kind of a crisis, and I'm meeting with a counselor, a guy named James, who's become a dear, dear friend. And <laughs> after the second or third conversation, he says, Bruce, you've got a forgiveness issue, and mentioned a particular man's name. I said, no, no, James, I don't have a forgiveness issue toward him. I forgave him. I wrote him a letter and told him so. He said, well, you've got some issue. I, if it's not a forgiveness issue, it's something. So why don't you and God go away and just spend three or four days together, just you and him, and ask, because there's something going on, figure out what it is, ask him what it is. And while you're there, you might want to read a book about by R.T. Kendall on forgiveness. James was not very subtle. So I go away, a friend of a friend let me borrow a lake house in Alabama. Now, when I tell this story in, in Georgia, where we're from, my Georgia friends go, why would you do that? God doesn't actually go to Alabama. But he was there on a tourist visa that week. And so we met together. And on the third or fourth day I was there, the Lord said to me, you haven't, and I get these conversations with God. We all, God speaks to all of us. Sometimes we haven't learned to listen, but, but he, when I have these debates, I, they're fast and I always lose them. But anyway, this is how this one went. He says, you haven't forgiven and mentioned the same man's name James did. And I said, no, no, I forgave him. I wrote him a letter and told him so. And God said, I know I read your letter. You shamed him in that letter. But God, he did all of these things that wounded me and my family. And God said, yeah, I know. And how many people have you told about all the amazing things and blessings I gave to you out of that circumstance? So how is it you blame him and praise me for the very same event? And I went, I don't know. And again, I lost my debate with God. And I made the difficult decision for me to forgive that man for the specific things that he had done to wound me and my family. And I can't tell you the shift in my spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm cranking up the iPod. I'm singing at the top of my lungs. People across the lake are going, what is that weird noise coming from that empty house? And I'm free. I come home, I share it with my wife, and she gets free. And then we gathered our kids together because pastor's kids get wounded a lot. And they don't know how to deal with it. And so we gathered them together, and they had been wounded by this same man, and they forgave him as well. And then we went outside and literally burned every evidence of what he had done, which was legally actionable. And then we began to forgive other things and other people. And we began to forgive each other. They forgave us. We forgave them. They forgave each other. And for 11 hours in one day, our family dealt with old stuff. And it was the catalyst that shifted the direction of our family. And it's why our kids are all happily married. All three of them and their spouses are serving God with abandonment. And, and, and it changed us. About three weeks later, we're in Kentucky where I was raised. And we're at my, my parents' house. And on the last day, we we're about to head back home. It was just my dad and Tony and I at the table for breakfast. I don't know where mom was, but it was just the three of us. And 
My dad had heard about the story. He knew of the past. He knew what we forgave. He was excited about what God had done in our family. And But he was, com we used the word kvetching about a couple of guys. You know what that word means? It's a Yiddish term for browsing and complaining. You know what it means, right? And the Lord said to me, another one of those conversations, you need to forget, you need to speak to your dad's life about his unforgiveness. I said, but sons don't speak into their dad's lives. They said, I, they do if I tell them to. I said, well, that's a good point. But how do I know it's you? He says, you know it's me. The other guy, he wouldn't tell you to do this. It's a good point. It's going to upset him. Which one of us do you want upset? And so I swallowed hard and I said, Papa, I don't know what you want to do with this. And you know, I love you and I don't want to upset you, but don't you think it's time to forgive John and Don? Don has been your friend for over 50 years, Dad. And what he did was dumb. It was stupid. I get it, but it's not worth a friendship of 50 years. And Johnny was like your son in ministry. Carla was like my third sister. It's been 35 years, Dad, and they still think you're mad at them. Don't you think it's time to forgive? And on the inside, not on the outside, but on the inside, I kind of went like this. Because you don't know the response, right? And my 76-year-old retired pastor father looked at me and said, Son, I stand rebuked. Will you help me? You see, most people who need to forgive need help doing it. And he got on his knees, didn't ask him to, but he got on his knees right there in the kitchen. And I was able to coach him and help him forgive both of those men for the things that they had done. And when, he's, when my dad was finished, he uh, gets up and he's in tears. He's weeping. He says, son, go get that Heartland CD. Can you play that Holy of Holy song? And so we played the song. And he said, let's play that again. I said, okay, dad, we played it again. And he said, can we play that again? Yeah, dad, we can play it again on the seventh time. I said, dad, can we get another song? Because when you really forgive, you cannot stop celebrating the cross of Jesus, can you? And within two weeks, God orchestrated a reconciliation between my dad and both of those men. To the level, to the degree, that my, at my dad's funeral, 17 months later, both of those men spoke at, his, at my dad's request. And one other thing about my dad you need to know, he was not a bitter, grumpy old man. He was a godly man. In fact, when, when he passed away, we as a family stood in line greeting people for four and a half hours nonstop. Some people waiting an hour and a half in line to pay their respect. You see, good people, godly people, can be caught in the sin of unforgiveness. And make no mistake, unforgiveness is a sin. It's not a bad idea. It's a sin. Because God expects forgiven people to forgive others so much so that he connects his forgiveness with ours. You know the Lord's Prayer, right? Let's say it together. We'll put it up on the screen and we'll, so we're all in the same version. I'll count to three and we'll start. All right? One, two, three. Our Father, which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. What is the one clause in that prayer that has a condition attached to it? Forgiveness. But it's not the condition we would expect, is it? If I were predicting Jesus was going to give us a condition to pray about forgiveness in a model prayer, it would be something like this. And God, help me forgive others the way you have forgiven me. But it's exactly the opposite of that, isn't it? What Jesus is literally telling us to pray is this. Heavenly Father, please use the standard I use dealing with people who wound me as a standard you use to relate to me. Well, I don't want God using anything I do as his standard, particularly how I deal with wounds. But that's what Jesus tells us to pray. In fact, it's the only clause in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gives immediate commentary to. When he says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your Father will forgive you. If you don't, he won't. Now, we're not talking about eternal security. That's a whole different question. What he's talking about here is the way we deal with people who wound us is how God will relate to us while we're walking around on the planet. Is that unsettling just a little bit? And it's not the only time he says it. He says it multiple times in multiple places throughout the Gospels. In fact, in Mark, he says this, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have something against someone. In other words, if you come to God to pray and you've been wounded since the last time you came to God to pray and you've not dealt with that wound, the Father is basically saying, I don't really even want to have this conversation right now. Our unforgiveness impacts our ability to pray and commune with God. And again, he says it multiple times throughout the gospel. But the most shocking statement, I think, in all of Scripture, this is the uh-oh passage. This is what, and I have to confess, I was a pastor. I went to Bible college, seminary, seminary and I went to a pastor for 25 plus 30 years before I really understood this. And it was someone had to help me see it, and I'd read it hundreds of times. I taught the passage before it jumped out at me. You see, in Matthew 18, Jesus asked, or Peter asked Jesus a question. How many times do I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Is seven times enough? Well, Peter knew that the Pharisees of the day said, if someone sinned against you twice, you had to forgive them. Three times, if you want to be generous, you could forgive. But after three times, you don't have to forgive, probably shouldn't. So when Peter was saying seven times, he was doubling the maximum of the Pharisees and adding one, saying, did I do good, Jesus? Do I get a gold star? And Jesus said, how about 70 times 7? That's an unlimited number, isn't it? Because if you get into the 4, it's 490 times. And if you get to the 460s and 470s and you're still counting, there's a pretty good chance you've not been forgiving because you won't keep track that long, right? And then Jesus says something very significant. Whenever you... Read in the Gospels, and Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like, you want to pay attention. And because what he's doing, he's taking the curtains of heaven, and he's opening them up and giving us a glimpse as to how God wants things to work. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he gives us a, a parable, a, a, an, an allegory, a, a natural story to teach a supernatural truth. 
And here's the story. There was a ruler who came to collect debts from slaves who owed him money. Well, the first slave he came to, notice you got a ruler, you got slaves under their authority, right? Not equal, under. And the first slave he came to owed him 10,000 talents. He says, pay me what you owe me. He says, I don't have it. And then the guy said, I'm going to throw you and your family into debtor's prison, which is to me one of the dumbest concepts in all of history. Have you ever thought through this debtor prison thing? If you can't pay for it while you're out working, how are you going to pay for it while you're inside the joint? Particularly if your whole family gets thrown there, there with you. But that's what they would do. And the, the servant said, please, please, please give me time. I'll pay it back. Notice he didn't ask for forgiveness. He asked for time. But the ruler gave him more than he asked for. He forgave him the debt. Well, that's a great story, isn't it? But how many of you know what a talent was worth? It was worth 60 mina. Does that help anyone? A mina was equivalent to three months wages. So one talent equals 60 times three. It's 180 months wages. One talent is 15 years wages. One talent. This guy owed 10,000 of them. That's 150,000 years worth of wages. Please, please, please give me time. Hello? No one's giving you a 150,000-year mortgage on your home. It's not happening. No one lives that long, right? At 50,000 a year, which is the median income in the U.S., that's $7.5 billion, with a B, dollars that the ruler forgave. Well, I, that means that the net worth of the ruler came down by that much, and the net worth of the slave came up by that much. And I'm thinking if it's me, and I just got a gift of $7.5 billion, I just might be in a good mood. I'm just thinking, I'm throwing a party, and I'm saying Chick-fil-A and ribs on me. I'm covering everybody. Right? This guy didn't do that. This guy came and found another slave. Not someone under him, someone on the same line with him under the same man's authority who owed him a hundred days wages. That's 16 grand. How many of you can pay back $7.5 billion? Anybody here? If you're here, the pastor and I both want have some ministries we'd love to chat with you about. But this guy, but, but how many of you can pay back 16000 that's a manageable debt. That's a car loan for many students. That's a student loan after one semester, right? That, that may be difficult. It may take a while, but that is a manageable debt. And the first slave said, pay me what you owe me. The second, same appeal the first slave had given before. Please, please, please give me time. I'll pay it back. And the first slave choked the second slave and threw him in prison. Well, the ruler heard about it. Because, face it, fellow slaves, they always rat you out. It's kind of what they do. And he summoned him. He said, you wicked slave. Now, that's not a compliment. I forgave you all of that debt because you asked for mercy. Should you not have also had mercy on your fellow slave the same way I had mercy on you? He That's a legitimate question, right? And then he says, and his Lord, little L, moved with anger, rightfully so, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay what he owed. 
Well, what did he owe at this point? What is it the first slave owed to the ruler at this point? Well, he didn't owe the money because if you forgive a debt, you legally cannot reclaim that debt. But he owed something. What is it he owed? Should you not have also had mercy on your fellow slave the same way I had mercy on you? He owed mercy to the next guy. He owed what we call forgiving forward. And the torturer in that day was a man who was assigned to the jail, who was skilled at exacting the greatest amount of pain for the longest amount of time without someone passing out or dying. Think Braveheart at the end of the movie. Everybody seen Braveheart? Anybody ever watch 24? Any episode Jack Bauer was in, somebody was being tortured, right? We know what that means. Gitmo, waterboarding. Jesus now leaves the parable. Very significant point. Because he's no longer talking in a pretend story. He's now answering Peter's question. And remember who Peter was, right? Peter was a leader of the disciples. He was a guy that two chapters earlier in Matthew 16, Jesus said, I'm going to hand the keys of the kingdom of heaven over to you. In other words, I'm going to die. I'm going to resurrect. And I'm, we're going to create a marketing firm. We're going to call it, I don't know, the church. And Peter, you and these other guys are going to be responsible for taking the message that I died and rose again to the entire world. So if anyone is going to get special treatment from God, it just might be the guy, Jesus, guys, Jesus spends three and a half years training to take the message of the gospel viral. And Jesus said, my heavenly father will do the same to you, Peter, and you other guys. If each of you does not forgive your brother from your heart. The same what? My heavenly father will do the same what? Well, in the context of Matthew 18, it can't mean anything but, and please understand, I've done everything I know exegetically for it not to mean this, but it can't mean anything but hand you over to the torturers. It doesn't say the Father tortures us. It says the Father gives authority for us to be tortured. And the word torture is the Greek word. That Greek word is used 18 times in the New Testament. And of the other 17 times this word is used, maybe there's one exception, but every other time, but maybe one, it's used in connection with hell or demonic activity. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus, right? Lazarus is the beggar. The rich man wouldn't help. They both died at the same day. Lazarus woke up in Abraham's bosom, a place of comfort. The rich man woke up in hell, being in the same word, torment. What Jesus is literally saying is God gives demonic forces legal authority to torment us when we don't forgive. He withholds his protection from us when we don't forgive. Is that shocking to you? It should be. And it's not because we've been wounded. It's because we haven't forgiven the wound. And torment in our culture looks like anxiety issues, depression issues. It looks like the addiction, all of the addictions, alcohol addiction, drug addictions, sex addictions. It looks like paranoia. It looks like control issues, some physical issues. Tony coached one lady who, when she came to her, which she didn't know, that Tony didn't know it at the time, but the lady was on a heart transplant list. Her heart was operating at, at 20% 
capacity. She had a pacemaker and a defibrillator in her heart. And when she forgave, she said, something happened in my heart. She goes the next week to a, her regularly scheduled cardiac transplant follow-up, a regular scheduled appointment the next week. And when the doctor ran the test, he ran them the second time. And he came back after the second time being the same result as the first one. He said, we don't understand this, but you're now operating at eight at, at at 90% capacity. You were at 20%, now you're at 90%. We don't understand what happened. And she said, I know I forgave. Now, all physical issues are like that. But if the torment is connected with us physically, when we forgive, the tormentors leave. We had a we, we coach when we're not traveling. We coach, we do forgiveness coaching, and we had a couple call and came to us. He was a Grammy Award-winning R&B player, or, or, or artist. And um, they came to us, sat down on our couch, and the story is this. About three or four weeks earlier, he had had an encounter with God, finally gave his heart fully to God, and then he came clean with his wife of 14 years that he did not know how many women he had slept with in their 14-year marriage. He would, when he flew, travel, he'd fly women to London or wherever he was, and he had an 11-year-old son that his wife knew nothing about. And she was completely clueless on it all until he confessed. And they're now in our living room. What's the chance would you give, ladies, of that marriage ever and if it was ever going to be working out, how long would it take? Well, we recognize that wounded people wound people. And so we, we, we recognize also that when couples come in conflict, marital conflict, almost always, 100% of the time, it is because of a wound that predates him. And there was something driving his sexual addiction. And so we begin to, to drill down. And we under, found out that his father had lived the same kind of a lifestyle. And if a son... If a father does that, it wounds the son. And if the son doesn't deal with the wound, he more than likely will repeat the wounding, the, that, that, that activity. And so we begin to forgive dad for the same kind of a lifestyle for what he had done. And in the middle of forgiving his father, he said, and my sister. I said, what did your dad do to your sister? Nothing is what my sister did to me. I said, well, let's pause and let's finish dad and then we'll come back to sister. So we came back to sister and I said, what did your sister do? He said, well, from the time I was six or seven to 11 or 12, she used to molest me and then she would bring her friends over and they would use me as a sex toy. Well, that explained a lot. And when he forgave his sister for the specific things she had done and allowed to be done to him, everything in his countenance shifted. Everything changed. And then Tony was able to coach his wife to forgive him. They walked out reconciled after three and a half hours. To the level that about a week or two later, we get a phone call from Japan. It was, his, it was this guy's uh, producer. And the producer said, well, I'm not sure what you did with and mentioned his name, but we have the similar issue. Can we come? And so they flew from Japan to Atlanta to meet with us. And then the, 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 the first couple now are re leading two ministries in northern Atlanta that one to couples in crisis and marital issues and another one to men with sex addictions, bringing the forgiving forward model to their, to their ministry. 
You see, God expects forgiven people to forgive others so much so he connects his forgiveness with ours. He withholds his protection when we don't forgive, but he unleashes it when we do. The moment you forgive, the tormentors will leave. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to ask God for it. The Father himself will do it. And I will also tell you that if you've got a forgiveness issue and you've not forgiven, you can have all the deliverance ministries going on around you that you want to have. You can pray all day long in the name of Jesus or the power of the Spirit to, to relieve this demonic activity and nothing will work because the tormentors are there under the authority of the father and his authority trumps the sons of the spirit he's there to discipline us and understand this torment is a discipline and in fact unforgiveness is the most harshly disciplined sin we as a believer can commit nothing else does he say i'm going to hand you over the tormentors for and some people say, well, he'll kill you for certain things. Well, hello, no believer who ever gets to heaven says, Jesus, this was too soon. Right? If we're allowed, if we're required to have, we will not want to give a complaint. But if Jesus says, you have to give me one thing, you would do different. One thing, and it, forcing us to have one complaint about heaven. The only possible complaint we would ever have about heaven is, Jesus, what took you so long? Right? But to be left on the planet under the authority of demonic forces, under the tormenting of demonic forces, that's horrific discipline. The question is why does God reserve that only for unforgiveness? Because there's nothing else he says that about. And the answer is this. Forgiveness is at the core of the gospel. You can't cut the gospel anywhere. It doesn't bleed forgiveness. In Luke 24... In one of, if not the last conversations, one of the last conversations that Jesus had with his disciples after the resurrection, before the ascension, he says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again on the third day, so that. And that so that is a purpose clause. Which means that what a purpose clause means, what proceeds is not the main goal, it's the means to the main goal. The, the main goal always follows the purpose clause, right? So would you all agree with me that the death and resurrection of Jesus is kind of a big deal? It's a big, 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 big deal, right? Big deal. But it's not the main event. It's the means to the main event. What is the main event? That forgiveness for, that repentance for forgiveness of sins be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Forgiveness is at the core of the gospel. In Colossians 1, Paul says the Father transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, comma. And that's a, in other words, comma. That comma means that what follows restates what precedes. In whom we have redemption, another way of saying the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness is at the core of the gospel. Because the gospel is simply this. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, not only did man lose a lot, we lost the relationship we were designed to have with God, but God lost a lot. He lost the glory we were designed to give him. And God said, I want my kids back and I want my glory back. But there's a big problem. There's a sin debt. It's more than 150,000 years worth of wages. There is zero possibility they will ever be able to make it right. Jesus, is there something you're willing to do about that? Yeah, Dad, I've got more than enough righteousness in my account. I can cover this. So Jesus leaves heaven, comes to the planet, lives 33 to 3rd years perfectly, and on the cross, stretched out his far arms, and he said, it is almost done. Right? It is 
I got the bill, you get the tip. No, it is finished. It's completed. What was finished? The payment for the sin debt of the world. 1 John 2, 2 says, For Jesus is the satisfaction for our sins, but not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. Which means people don't go to hell because they've not been forgiven. People go to hell because they've not repented to receive the benefit of the forgiveness because every sin ever committed by anybody anywhere on the planet, any point in time in history, past present or future was paid for by Jesus on the cross. It is finished. Three days later, when God the Father, by the power of the Spirit, raised Jesus from the dead, the Father was saying, I agree. I received the blood of my Son as payment in full for the sins of the world against me. So when we say, God may forgive, but I won't. We're saying, dear Heavenly Father, I do appreciate the fact you play, play such a high value on the blood of your son that you've received it as payment in full for the sins of the world against you. But what they did to me, what they did to my family, what they did to the people I love, I need something more than that. The blood of your son is not enough to satisfy me. And what father would easily handle the crowning achievement of his son being devalued by the very ones he achieved it for? We say it this way. The blood of Jesus covers all sin, including the ones committed against me, against you, against us. And I believe that the reason the church is so impotent in our culture is because we have not learned to forgive. And the watching world is looking at us and saying, you're not smoking what you're selling. You want us to believe in the forgiveness of God, but you're not willing to share that with each other, much less us. And I have a life Principle that one of one of my life principles that I live by is this. You ready? Never eat barbecue prepared by a vegetarian. <laughs> it's just not going to turn out well. I want my barbecue prepared by a big fat guy with barbecue sauce in his beard. I want to know that he has tasted the stuff, he's enjoyed what he's selling, and he's just giving me the overflow. And the world needs to see that we've not only tasted the stuff, we've enjoyed the stuff, and we're sharing them the overflow of the grace of God, the mercy of God that he has poured out upon us. And no amount of sharing the gospel will work if we're living with bitterness in our heart. Pastor Phil mentioned we were in Israel, but about three years ago, 
we were in Israel, we spoke at the largest Messianic congregation in Jerusalem. And, and at the end of, and we did this kind of like today, all day seminar and the morning session we're teaching and I'm translated to Hebrew and about five or six other languages. It was kind of crazy weird. And at the end of this session, an 86 year old Holocaust survivor walked up to us, shuffled up. In his inimitable way, he says, so I was a little boy in Poland. When the Gestapo burst into my house, they took my parents and my siblings. I was hidden and they killed them all and I barely escaped with my life. And you're telling me I have to forgive the Nazis and that will dishonor my family. You see, the Jews believe that have a saying, and it's actually written in Hebrew, and it's in a plaque over the entrance to the Holocaust Museum Go in, in Israel. It says, we will not forgive and we will not forget. Because they're afraid if they forgive, they'll forget. What would you tell that man? Well, I swallowed hard. I said, sir, I can't imagine what you went through. And I denounced with every fiber of my being what the Nazis did to the Jews. It was horrific. There's no excuse for it. But the answer to your question is yes, sir. You do have to forgive. Because the blood of Jesus covers all sin. Including what the Nazis did to the Jews. In fact, it's the only way you'll actually honor your family. And he looked at me and he said, okay. And he shuffles off. At the end of the day, after we taught them the protocols, which we're going to teach you this afternoon, we saw him forgive. And when he did, everything in his countenance shifted. He since with the, passed on to be with the Lord, but the people who knew him said that from that day on, his life was different. That's why we were in the, back in the Dead Sea area. It was only, it's the only place that the Jews and the Arabs could come together. And we had Messianic church leaders and we have Arab church leaders coming together that even though they're both Christ followers, they're like this because the sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac won't forgive each other for what dad did. It's a 4,000-year-old wounding. And we told them, it, it's not, these are our grievances, what are you going to do to fix it? Which is every other time they've tried it, they've done. We said, whatever your grievances are, Jesus has already paid for it. And at the end of the day, at the end of the, set, the, the, the seminar, the retreat, they were repenting of their sins of unforgiveness. They were embracing and blessing one another. And they're now talking about getting their congregations together, which is difficult in Israel because there's only so many places that can happen. But do you understand that God expects forgiven people to forgive others so much so that he connects his forgiveness with ours? He withholds his protection when we don't forgive. He unleashes it when we do because forgiveness is at the core of the gospel. And the blood of Jesus covers all sins including the ones committed against me. Have I convinced you that unforgiveness is not just a bad idea, it's a sin? And it's not a sin you want to be active in your life. God is calling you to rethink the woundings of your heart and to raise in value in your mind 
and in your heart the blood of Jesus. So, so this afternoon, we're going to teach you the model. How did Jesus forgive? How do, we, how, what are, how do we deal with reconciliation questions? We're going to deal with that. Then we're going to teach you the protocols. And then we're going to, the, 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 the parts of the recipe that God says, if these are in it, the cake's going to be right. You're going to have a forgiveness accomplished. And then we're going to teach you how to recognize unforgiveness in someone else. And we're going to teach you how to help them forgive since most people who need to forgive, need help doing. But what I'm calling you today is to repent. To see the woundings of your heart in light of the cross of Jesus. Because forgiveness is simply this. It's, receive, it's, it's applying the blood of Jesus as payment in full for every wound I ever have or will suffer. So I hope you'll come back because I would love for this church to become that church in this community that does not tolerate unforgiveness in its midst. And when you do that, your impact in this community will exponentially shift. Father, we're grateful for your mercy. We're that grateful that you have placed the blood of your son at such a high level of value simply because it is valuable. And Lord, teach us to honor the cross. And we thank you that your blood was enough to satisfy us, you for us. Lord, help us to apply it to those around us. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You have been listening to the Bethany Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at bccma.org. Thank you, and God bless.